Welcome or welcome back to So Every Soul Sings, Worship for the Real Church. My name is Rod Ellis. Usually, uh, this is where Bethany Pettigo, my co-host, is welcoming you to the podcast. But today we are flipping the script and I'm going to interview Bethany because her tradition is different from mine. Her experience is different from mine. Um, Her ministry looks different from mine. And I want to find out a little bit more of what she has learned outside of, if you listen to the last episode, my tradition, which is Baptist. Um, One of the things that we do is uh, we learn from each other. And so I, I have a particular area of interest that I haven't really researched much. I've asked around. I've paid attention as I read the Bible. I've even been reading about church history recently. And so I've been reading with an eye toward it, but I've never really taken a deep dive into understanding the concept that is all over the scripture. And sometimes all over what you see when somebody else leads worship in a video or live or preaches or prays. And that's the idea of anointing. Mm-hmm. It's spelled with, by the way, only two N's, A-N-O-I-N-T-E-D. Uh, when someone is anointed, I always thought there were two N's at the beginning. So there you go. Free spelling lesson today. <laughs> um, so Bethany, welcome to the other side of the table, so to speak. I am so excited to come up with questions that you're not expecting. Yay! I know. You've been waiting, haven't you? I have. I've been storing this up for months. <clears throat> so. Um, what is anointing, at least as you see biblical evidence, like when you're reading through scripture and you've studied it like crazy, um, how do you understand anointing in in the way that the scripture represents it? Yeah. So when you talk about anointing, you have to start in the old Testament when certain things and certain people were anointed. All of the furnishings of the tabernacle, for example, were anointed. All of the priests and the Levites were anointed themselves also. Uh, David was anointed by Samuel, you know, to be king. So it was, first of all, as, as we read through scripture, it was a way to recognize that someone was set apart or that churchy word is consecrated. For mm-hmm. a special holy purpose. That's the first thing in scripture. Uh, the second thing that we see. Hold on, hold that, on. Let's let's stay with the first one. So okay. when something or someone was anointed, um, who was the one who had the authority to anoint them? Like, how did that happen? You mentioned the tabernacle and eventually the temple and the priests. Uh, who was the anointer? So generally it was someone with spiritual authority. In the case of Samuel, obviously, he was the prophet of Israel at the time, Mm -hmm. the religious leader for the nation of Israel. In the case of the tabernacle, it was Aaron. Aaron anointed the Levites and, um, and I believe, the furnishings of the tabernacle. So someone who has spiritual authority um, could be a pastor, you know, in in sort of our our space that we are in, a pastor, possibly, or a a spiritual father, maybe, of someone. So it's somebody that has some sort of spiritual authority, which, and we don't want to think of authority as being a boss. We want to think of that as being a responsibility and a covering, right? 
So if I have spiritual authority over somebody in my worship ministry, it's not that I get to tell them what to do. It's that I have a responsibility to lead them well. And so that's where the authority comes from. And that means that I'm now in the position or would have been biblically, you know, we may not do things like that now, but in biblical times, that would have been what qualified me to be the one who does the anointing because I represent God. Is that right? Yes, exactly. And that's how God, you know, we've talked about this in many other podcasts. That's how he chose for it to work. He places people in positions of authority, civil and religious, right? And in homes and all sorts of arenas of life. and then. He gives those people certain responsibilities. But I do want to um, add, even in the Old Testament, when someone was anointed, um, it was a sign that they were set apart. But it was also a symbol of God's presence on that person in a special way. And that's not something that we can do to somebody else. Mm. God is the one who chooses people, and God is the one who... Uh, comes upon people in power. For example, in First Samuel chapter 6, it says that the Spirit of the Lord came powerfully on David after he was anointed with oil by Samuel. So it's not that Samuel slapped some oil on David and suddenly he had the Spirit of the Lord. It was a symbol, a request maybe even, that God would come mm-hmm. near to that person and okay. in the case of the tabernacle, to that physical place and, and be there in a special way. Hmm. All right. I interrupted you. So can you find where I interrupted you and re-enter? Yes. So uh, in the Old Testament, um, that, that is first how it was used. It's also a symbol, though, of abundance. So hmm. uh, when the prophets talk about there's an absence of bride and bridegroom, and of uh, singing, it also talks about an absence of oil, because oil represents abundance. So when there is an abundant crop of olives, for example, there was a lot of oil. So oil also came to be representative in the Old Testament as something like joy. Um, it's 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 in a I can't remember the psalm, but it says um, you've anointed me with the oil of joy or the oil of gladness. Because it also represented that um, abundance and freedom from oppression, freedom from poverty. (coughs) That's cool. That's beautiful. And in the New Testament, um, it talks about Jesus as being anointed by God with the Holy Spirit and with power. So his his title of of Messiah actually means smeared or anointed with oil. That is who the Jewish people were looking for, looking to come as someone who would have a special, very unique um, anointing, a special task to do. So as that translates forward into history, into closer to where we are today, I believe that the meaning of the word anointed has come more to mean something like special grace or a gifting to do a particular task or service with supernatural power and effectiveness. And who doesn't want that? Right. Well, who doesn't want that? Like, <laughs> if, if God's going to, if I'm going to do something, I want to have supernatural power and effectiveness in doing it. I don't want to just do it. Right. 
correct. That, that, yeah, that just sounds like what all of us want to be. Except that. <laughs> yes. When we do look at scripture and we even we look at the life of Jesus, who is our model in all things, we see uh, another factor at work. And it is this, that there is some trial, some sorrow, some wilderness season, some suffering that pretty much anybody who is ever used by God in all the scripture had to endure. And I, I heard uh, Christine Kane gave the most amazing message <laughs> that I've ever heard on this yep. topic. Go ahead and tell us what it is, because I know you love it. <laughs> it is. It's, it's, uh, if you look it up, it's, it's called Gifting and Anointing. And she gave it at Bethel's School of Worship Ministry, I believe in 2018. And she talked about how, how is oil, how do you get oil out of olives? You crush them. You press them flat, and then you press them flat again. You roll this heavy very heavy stone over them repeatedly. In fact, the word Gethsemane, the Garden of Gethsemane, where Jesus sweated blood, right. the name Gethsemane in Hebrew means oil press. You know, it was in the, the Olive Garden, right? The Garden right. of Olives, which is the Not Mount the restaurant. Olives. Not the Olive no. Garden restaurant. Right. No, it was the Mount of Olives <laughs> where Jesus took his, his disciples to meet that he experienced something of that, that crushing of his soul. And why is that? Why is that included? Um, we can't give ourselves gifts. So, so that's mm -hmm. definitely a part of being anointed, having a gift. We can't give ourselves a gift. Uh, God is the one who gives us gifts and they're without repentance, right? So God gives gifts to people, um, and he doesn't take them back from people. I, at least that's how I, you know, you can get into all kinds of discussions about sure. what that verse means. <laughs> yeah. But um, the gifts and callings of God are without, without repentance. And um, secondly, uh, God gives us his presence and his power through the Holy Spirit. So we can't give ourselves that. That's something that God has given to the, you know, Jesus sent the Holy Spirit after he left physically the earth. So all of us have access to the Holy Spirit, the presence of God, which also empowers us. But the third part of this anointing idea is this crushing process that produces the needed character in a person that God can then use to do mighty things. So in Jesus's, you know, in his particular circumstance, he already had character. However, the scripture says that he learned obedience through suffering. And I, I have found that scripture to be a conundrum to me for years and years and years. Like, how, how did Jesus learn obedience? Why did he need to learn obedience? Why was he baptized, right? He didn't have any sins to repent of, but it is because he fully entered into our experience as hum as humans and so the 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 experience that we have to have he took on himself so we need to be baptized right, right. we need to repent of our sins and then to undertake this water baptism to 
tell the world that this change has occurred in us. So Jesus did that even though he didn't have to, right? So I, I believe that it's similar in this being crushed and producing this, this character of obedience happened in Jesus. And if Jesus had to do it, we also have to do it. Um, it's not enough to just have a gift. And I, I believe that we see people in ministry often who are gifted, mm. but they may not be anointed. Yeah, I would say that I have at least imagined that to be true about people that I have seen. I, I, it's hard to know on the outside, I would say, um, whether or not they have been anointed. I might not be the task that God called them to. And so then it's hard for me to judge whether or not that person has been anointed for the task that God called them to. I, I, I think, like we talked about in, in a previous episode, um, extending some grace to think that maybe God's calling, God's anointing on them is bigger than our experience of them is, is important. Uh, on the other hand, there are other places where I go where I don't think it would matter what the context was or who the people were. The anointing is so, so very evident. I, I want to go back just like four minutes um, to what you said about, um, <laughs> yes, but the second part <laughs> is crushing. Uh, even in conversations you and I've had about this before, I had never thought of that concept of crushing, which leads to anointing in light of the verse that uh, I believe is in Hebrews, that it was for the joy set before him that Jesus endured the cross. Um, it is for the anointing ahead of us that we walk through suffering now. And, and I don't mean that we're Jesus. I just mean that that's a way that Jesus has gone ahead of us. Mm-hmm. And that as we walk behind him, when we walk through suffering, not only is there joy on the other side, but if we will let God do the crushing he wants to do in the circumstances we are walking through, then we will have a greater evidence of, or maybe even greater empowering by the anointing of the Holy Spirit. Does that resonate with, with what you're describing? Absolutely. And we've talked about this before in other contexts, even that you know, the suffering that we experience enables us to minister to other people in ways that we never could before. Right. I mean, that's what we're talking about, right? Effective ministry to God's people. That is what the anointing supplies. Effective and powerful ministry to, to in, in people that don't even know God yet. And so let me let me interrupt you again and just ask a question that somebody else may already be thinking of. Um, can I pursue anointing? Like if I want to be more anointed, can I just like can I chase after that? I think when you ask it that way, it makes it hard for people to step back from that churchy word. Because Mm -hmm. if you do ask for that, what you are asking is that you would be graced and gifted to do a particular task or service with supernatural power and effectiveness. Do you want that in your ministry? I want that in in all of the places where I minister. I want that. And that's not wrong or bad or too ambitious or anything like that to pursue. But we should do so (laughs) knowing that that is going to require a process of us. 
it will require a process of us. So, so if I want anointing, I have to be willing to be crushed. Is that right? Yes, absolutely. Because if, if not, then the danger is that we would, I, I idolize our own gifting instead of worship the one who gave us the gift. There's a lot of things that I can do because I'm gifted. There are things that you are able to do because you have gifts to do them. And if you function in that place for long enough, you become a very warped human being. You know, I think about some people who've become very famous, you know, singers or very famous movie stars, and it destroyed them, absolutely destroyed them because they, be they became the worshiper of their own gift as yeah. did you know millions of other people right. we're not created for that it will destroy anyone who does that so there's and a so, price to pay for anointing and is the joy on the other side is the anointing on the other side worth the crushing that you walk through to get there well jesus has already given us the answer like you said it's it's right there in that verse that for the joy that was set before him, he endured the cross and he scorned its shame. It wasn't even, he didn't even think about it. He was like, yep, mm. it's going to be humiliating. Yep, it's going to be excruciating. But it's not even worth wasting time thinking about because of the, of the joy that was set before him. About 20 years ago, um, I walked through a time that was mostly self-inflicted, but certainly would be qualified as crushing. And those who have experienced my ministry before that time and since that time, I think would say, there's something different about you. Um, when I stand on the platform to lead worship now, I am a very different man from the 30-year-old who would have stood on a platform to lead then. And the crushing that went in between um, was transformative for me in ways that I still don't fully understand. But there's no comparison between my ability to do what God has called me to do now and my ability to do that 25 years ago. And I don't think it's because I'm older and wiser. I mean, there is probably some of that, but I think it's because I am more anointed. And I don't say that with any sense of pride at all. Um, again, I just said that was because of something that was largely of my own doing. Um, I, I put myself <laughs> I put myself as the olive under the millstone so that I could be crushed. Um, and, and yet the, uh, yeah, the humility that comes from having been crushed and, um, the awareness of the fact that it's really not me doing the ministry. It's really God in me, Christ in me doing the ministry has made all the difference. And that is all a before and after picture to me. So if I were to ask, would I want to go through suffering at that level again? No, please God, no, never again. But was it worth it? Yes, absolutely, a hundred percent. And and I this again, does that line up with the way that you would understand that role of suffering and anointing? Absolutely. Absolutely. It's it's like the wise man who goes out to build a house. He he calculates the cost first. Mm -hmm. And I think that we are wise to do that. 
to calculate the cost. And Jesus is worth it. He's worth it. And the, the people that he loves so much, the world that he loves so much, is worth are, are setting our hearts, you know, setting our faces like Flint in that direction. So and that's God so good that if you're listening and you have the 15 second rewind or 10 second, you need to hit it twice and go back and listen to that again. That is so good. Yeah. Jesus is worth it. And the people that he loves deeply are worth it too. Absolutely. Yeah. And I, I, I pray, you know, God increase this grace on my life, increase this gifting in my life, increase supernatural power and effectiveness in my life. Because I want to be used by you. I mean, think about the story of Joseph. He was gifted. He, had, he was a dreamer. He was given these prophetic dreams. Mm -hmm. And then what happened? He got sold into slavery by his brothers. He was, you know, in Potiphar's house and then was thrown into jail. So he went from slavery to jail. Um, and it, in Psalm 105, it talks about his process it says that god sent a man before his people like this was a divinely mandated process remember i said anointing includes a divinely given gift yep and a divinely mandated crushing process this was a divinely mandated crushing process for joseph and it says that he was in the jail and it says the iron entered into his soul and that's crushing that is crushing it was a crushing experience for him. It says he was there until his dream came to pass. Like so can I, can I hit the pause to... button again right now and just say, if you're walking through a time of crushing, <laughs> if it feels like the iron is being pressed into your bones, God is not going to waste that. He is with you in it. He is loving you through it. He is very present to you right now. He is close to the brokenhearted. Yes. I want you to know that in the midst of your crushing, you are not alone. And I want you to know that on the other side, um, there is greater fulfillment and joy and hope and peace and love than you can imagine ever having had before. And that's the promise of what God does. And I want, I want you to know that he's going to do that for you too. I don't want you to get stuck in the crushing and feel like the crushing is going to last forever. And I don't want you to feel like it's something that you are being punished with. It is something that you are being processed through. You are, um, you are not alone and this will not be wasted. Is that again, Bethany, is that fair to say? Amen. I believe it. And I believe that that's really for some very specific people who are listening to this. Yeah. You needed to hear that message. And, and I would also say, if you are not yet in a place where you've experienced that, um, get ready. Do spiritual formative things now so that when you get into that place, you can walk through it. You don't, uh, my favorite worship leader of the 80s was a guy named Ron Canoli, and he said, if you're walking through hell, don't Keep stop. Going. If you walk, that's right. You go ahead. You go ahead and then you rap about it. Yeah. Uh, yeah. If, if you're walking through hell, don't stop. And if you're catching hell, don't hold it. Uh, you're going to come to that place. So get yourself spiritually formed so that when you get to that place, you can keep walking, um, knowing that God is walking through you. And if you're on the other side, I would just also encourage you, for those who haven't yet been there or who are in there now, do what we just did. Model for them. Tell them that you've been there. Identify with them. Confess to them. Um, there's incredible strength in that. I don't mean for you. I mean for the person that you're that you're walking through it with. So let's just be 
for one another. Let's just, um, let's just make sure that we're walking in community in, in such a way that if, if you're in it, you're not in it alone. If you've been through it, you're going to walk through it with somebody else. Mm-hmm. Uh, and if you're not there yet, you are doing all that you can so that you're ready for it when it comes. So that brings up an interesting follow-up question. Can we create a culture of anointing in our ministries? Like for those of us who are in charge of leading, if, if you're the worship pastor or you're the part-time or the volunteer leader of your band or, or whatever, our, we're culture, cultural architects. I love that. That's an Aaron McManus thing. Um, cultural yeah. architect. You are architecting the culture that you're leading. So can we create a culture of anointing? If we are people of the Bible, we should be. So how do we do that? What are the things we do that, that lead to that kind of culture? Well, first of all, I think that we do it by teaching about anointing. As okay. you know, you and I just here today have talked about how there are just certain circles where this is talked about a lot. Well, I think the first thing that we can do is teach about the concept of anointing and try to remove it from, you know, that's a charismatic thing or Mm. that's only for people who jump around or whatever. You know, the concept of anointing is extremely biblical in the Old Testament Mm. and the New Testament. And I think we should teach about that concept. And I think it would help frame uh, some of the purpose behind uh, you know, how God uses suffering in our lives. Uh, we talk about that, that sort of brokenness and vulnerability being a doorway, right? Being a, right. a path to freedom and a path to, to tremendous effectiveness as ministers. And I think that this concept of anointing uh, will help even reframe that a little bit into something very hopeful. So That's I think we teach... When you say teach, um, popped in my head, one of the things that we can teach, depending on our translation or our, our tradition or our context, is it, we might need to normalize it. We're not, exactly. We might need to just say, this is not freaky. Like, this is right. in the Bible. This is normal. We haven't done it very well, but we can. And in other contexts, we might need to spiritualize it. Like, we might need to say, this is not just something that we do perfunctorily, or it's not something that we just, you know, talk about, but this is something that has spiritual power and spiritual energy. And so we want to connect with the spirit because it's the spirit who does the anointing. I can, I can put anointing oil on your head, but I'm not the one who's going to bring healing. Right. So for depending on our context, maybe the teaching is not just that anointing ought to be a part of our teaching, but to understand what the, um, uh, what the limitations are or Michael Hyatt that I learned from all the time about productivity and leadership says the limiting belief. What is your limiting belief about anointing? And then let's teach out of that so that it becomes something filled with possibility instead of something that we just talk about because it's in the Bible. Right. Yes. Yes. And when you say normalize it, it should be something that we include in our conversation. For example, we see someone else who is operating in a tremendous gifting and anointing, we should say that, you know, to our Mm. team or to our people and help them recognize that the point of anointing is not 
to lift up the person who is anointed or, you know, the thing even I, 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 you know, you may disagree with me, but I feel like certain songs have an anointing on them. I mean, reckless love, you know, some people don't like it, but I think it undoubtedly has an anointing upon it for a certain kind of revelation about the love of God. Yeah. I would would say the same thing about, yeah. Living hope seems to have that kind of anointing or, Oh, praise the name. Anastasis has that kind of anointing. And yeah. Absolutely. And you can go back to old, you can go back to ancient song. Doxology has that kind of anointing. You know, it's not about the style. It really is about the song. That's fantastic. And the purpose of that anointing is not so you sit back and you're like, wow, whoever wrote the doxology was amazing. Or Corey Asbury is amazing. Or, Mm -hmm. you know, that's not the point. The point is to draw attention to the giver of the gift. The, The point is to draw attention to the worker of the miracle. The point of anointing is to draw attention to the one who anoints. I mean, if God the Father had to anoint Jesus in the Holy Spirit and with power, then we need him to do the same for us. God is the one who anoints. So when we anoint someone with oil, we're asking him to do that. We're asking him to, like I said, come near to that person, be present with them in a special way. But we are not actually the ones who are make people anointed or things anointed. Yeah. So one of the ways that we develop culture of anointing is by teaching about it. And we just talked about how to teach about how else do we develop a culture of anointing? I think we have to pursue it ourselves. Okay. And I think it's something that we should desire ourselves and that we should desire for the people that we lead. Like I said, we don't want them to suffer or to be crushed or to, you know, have terrible things happen to them, but Mm -hmm. our desire, if we are to be disciple makers, right? And if our job as the church is to, you know, go and make disciples and to lead people and then to raise up leaders who will raise up leaders who will raise up leaders, then our desire should be that the people that we lead would be anointed, would in their giftings, the, the places in their spheres of ministry that God has placed them in that they would be as effective and powerful as possible. So if I want to, if I want to pursue anointing for myself, if I want to be more anointed next year than I am today, I have to be open to crushing when it comes, right? I have to, I have to want more of Jesus. John three thirty one Is that right? He must increase. I must decrease. Um, I want I want more of the filling of the Holy spirit, which comes by abiding in Christ. So those are things that I can do in pursuit of anointing. I, there is a practical side to this. It isn't just mysterious. There is a great mystery around it. But part of it is doing the activities that result in a greater, um, yeah, a greater Christ in me. Not that Christ gets greater, but there's more of him in me. So I, I need to put myself, I need to do the work, the, physic, the, the spiritual work or the spiritual disciplines that put me in the position to be more filled with the spirit, which will then lead to more evidence, which is part of what that anointing looks like. Am I saying that right? Yeah, I believe so. Yes. So I'm going to model it. I'm going to teach it. What else am I going to do to create a culture of anointing? Pray for it. Pray for it for myself and for others on my team. Absolutely. Is there any... 
I don't, I don't mean like an incantation. I don't mean like, is there any magic way to pray? But is there any guidance for how to pray for that? Or you just ask God to do it? Well, hmm. you know, that's a great question. Because the Bible was written in Hebrew and Greek and Aramaic. But we read it in English. And I think uh, someone who is uneducated, living in, you know, the middle of Papua New Guinea, is going to pray that kind of prayer very, very extremely differently than, than I would or you would. So I, I don't think that there's um, there's a hard and fast rule necessarily. Um, I think it really is is more about drawing near to God and being willing to be used by him. And if that's so, your desire in your heart, then you say that to the Lord however you would say it. Yeah. At the Relay Worship Conference, which we just had, has it been six weeks ago? Something like that. Our crazy? friend Martha led worship at the in the concluding session, and uh, the evidence of her anointing was clear. And even as she was leading us, but especially in conversation immediately after, she said, I've just been with Jesus, and I want to share that with you. <laughs> That's so different from, I learned this new song, and I yeah. want to teach it to you. Acts 4, right? The the like Peter and John and they're like what's different about these guys? They're just Norden, unschooled ordinary men who had been with Jesus. Right. It was so, evident. Yeah, that's right. So the the anointing is part of the evidence of being with Jesus is our anointing. Yes. So we have to be with Jesus. And I think that has to do with the concept of authority, of knowing the authority that we have as believers. You know, you referenced, I think in one of our other episodes, the priesthood of all believers, that we mm-hmm. actually do have a measure of spiritual authority. And the, the bottom line is, is that anointed leaders, whether they are worship leaders, home group leaders, parents, mentors, yeah. pastors, whoever you are, anointed leaders change the atmosphere. Mm. they change the atmosphere of where Mm. they are. And that's the difference between a great singer and an anointed worship leader. The atmosphere itself changes. Just makes me wonder how many times I have missed those opportunities. Um, As soon as you said that, a a story popped in my head where I got it right. And and I don't think I got it right. (laughs) 10% 10% of the time in the last 35 years, but there was a young worship leader in our church uh, who was filming because we're in the coronavirus season. So we're doing everything by, by uh, film now and or whatever video file. Um, uh, and so she, she had just done the sound check run through of um, <clears throat> build my life. And I love that uh, song. Oh, it's so good. And, and she's 17. Um, she is anointed. There's evidence. You can see it. You can taste it when you're in the room. Um, and I just said to her, I, I called her by first and last name. And I said, I just want to tell you, I could sit and let you lead me in that song for two days and I would never have to eat or sleep. It is so good. You are just crushing it. You're, you're doing so well. And she turned around to leave the room um, before coming back. and. She walked away differently after I said that. 
And I wonder, it grieves my heart to think how many times have I not done that when I should have in order to create a culture of anointing where I call out not the giftedness, but the anointing in the people of the, in the, in the lives of the ministries of the people around me. And so by all means, leaders who are listening to this, please, please, please verbalize those things, mm-hmm. write a note, send a text, send an email, but by all means, when you're face to face, say something that changes the culture because that's part of the authority you have. That's part of what God has called you to do as the leader is to say to the drummer who's not singing any words on a microphone, but to say to the drummer, dude, the way you played that or, oh my goodness, young lady or whoever, the way you played that just seemed anointed. Like that moment wasn't that way when we did it before, but that time, and, and encourage and affirm and, and stir the anointing that you see. I, I, I love what you said about the Christine Kane's talk about the difference between giftedness and anointing. And yeah. we are so quick to celebrate giftedness and so slow yeah. to celebrate anointing, which leads to the prima donna complex instead of yes. the servant complex. Right. Exactly. So yes. let's just find ways to nurture the anointing and encourage the um, excelling in giftedness. Like we don't want people to limit their giftedness by all means. God gave it to them. So we want them to hone their craft, but let's um, really fan into flame that um, anointing that we experience in our lives. That's so helpful. Yes. Yes. Look for it, recognize it, pray for it, expect it. I, I believe that we are expected to follow Jesus's example. And he was anointed with the Holy Spirit and powered in everything that he did. That's beautiful and amazing and exciting. Is there anything else we can do on our side? There, there is such a way or such a sense in which this is a, um, this is what we surrender to so God can do. But there are certainly things that we do on our side to partner with, because God invites us into that partnership, to partner with God to, to, to live this out. So are, are there any other things that we can do? I would say, and this is a hard one, but I would say okay. we have to choose sometimes not to place people in positions mm. because they're gifted, but wait mm. for the anointed person. Yeah. That's a tough one. That is hard. I'm glad you went there though. That's important. It's hard, but it's really important. Yeah. And you can never, you don't know if they're anointed until they're in the position, right? I mean, they don't have to be like, have a role on the team every week, but if a person never steps up to a microphone for the first time Mm -hmm. or for the seventh time, because some of what comes with just repetitions is a level of comfort so that the anointing is evident. Like when, when that young lady I referenced in in the story three, four minutes ago, she was not that way the first time she ever sang in front of people. Mm -hmm. And Mm -hmm. so there is a process that we walk through. Um, So you're not saying don't give people the opportunity to, to find, to step into their anointing or to live out their anointing. You're just saying when given the option, choose anointing over availability and over gifting. Is that, is that fair? Yes. Yes. If you can. And if you can. Yeah. And then explain, yeah. 
you know, if you have opportunity to do so. And there is, you know, like you said, obviously times when you are specifically putting people into positions and into opportunities that they're not comfortable with so that they can grow. You know, I've, I've done things with my kids at your church, you know, that was very stretching and growing for them, but was a wonderful opportunity for them to grow. So we, but you, yeah, you sort of have to balance both sides of that equation a little bit. It's one of my favorite things Andy Stanley, whom I've never met, ever taught me. And that is it's a tension to be managed, not a problem to be solved. Exactly. And so you live in the tension and you, and you yeah. try to get it right and recognize that you won't all the time and just do the best you can. But, but be aware of the tension. That's part of what makes it managed instead of unmanaged is you're just aware of the tension and you're saying, okay, I want to cultivate and develop this person so that they can step into and, and live out their anointing, but they're not there yet with this person is already, you know, they're showing it there. It's so obvious. And then what about the person that just doesn't really show any evidence, even of potential, but they have the ability. Do we use them? Do we, well, yeah. How do we manage that? You, I bet you're loving this because you're like, I can tell. <laughs> she was not ready for that question. <laughs> it is fun to ask the hard, unexpected questions <laughs> instead of answer them. Yes. I, I think it depends on the kind of platform, I guess, that okay. you're talking about. Um and I think it depends on the person. I think it depends on your relationship with the person. Um, I think that we always want to err on the side of we don't know everything. You know, we yeah. may not see everything. Um, like you said, you know, sometimes it's real evident that someone's anointed, but then at other times we think maybe they're not, but maybe it's because they're just not anointed to to minister to us you know yes. maybe they're anointed to reach somebody else some other group of people some other That's really important race or some other culture or some other language like i mean i don't know about you but you know if i hear somebody singing in french i don't necessarily connect with that at all and they could mm -hmm. be the most anointed person on the planet so i think we have to be um wise wise in that but i think also we have to really push people that are in our ministries to develop spiritually. I mean, that's really what we're talking about. We're talking right. about spiritual development. And if, if a person honestly is the most gifted musician that they are not interested in growing spiritually, then I can't use them on my team. Yeah. Um, and, and I try to balance that um, probably a little more generously than some people wish and that I think being around a culture that is healthy and dynamic and transformative for the person who isn't interested, when they are repeatedly exposed to that, I think it stirs an interest in them. So there are people that are part of my core team that I would, there are people who aren't a part of my core team that I probably wouldn't invite into that core, but they serve and they serve faithfully and they're, they're glad to do it. You know, they play an instrument or they run a piece of technology or whatever. And I don't think I see evidence of anointing in their life or of a deep desire for spiritual growth, but I see willingness to serve, which may be their first step. 
and being around people who are the way that some of the rest of us are striving to be may in fact invite them into a bigger part of God's story um, that than they have known was possible before. So yeah, that's a, that's a difficult dynamic and um, you answered it better than I would have. And, um, and if you have questions, instead of emailing me this time, you can email Bethany. Uh, just yep. <laughs> so anything else you want to add before we wrap up today about this beautiful concept of anointing? I think the main thing uh, for us as leaders is to guard our hearts from idolizing the gifts and not the giver. When we see people who are both gifted and anointed outside of our sphere, that we wouldn't be so quick to, you know, lavish devotion upon someone else who just, we don't know the process they had to go through to get there. And, you know, God can use anyone at any time. He can use a donkey um, to speak. And so, yeah, I love that story. It's one of my favorites. (laughs) Um, So I think we we should be circumspect about, um, you know, how how much importance we place on that in other people and primarily be concerned with what, what we've got, right, in front of us, ourselves, and then the people that God has given us to lead. Yeah. As you were saying that, I hadn't heard this before in the ways that you've said that to me before, but the whole idea of gift envy or position envy or whatever, you know, we look and we see somebody on a big stage in a big venue and you think, why, why do they get to have that? And I don't do that. You don't know what crushing they've gone through before they got there. And and I can just tell you from people I've known who don't have a platform or who do, um, there has been some pretty dramatic crushing. If if you see the beauty of Christ in them in a way that you want, there's a really good chance that some of that beauty came while they were in the olive press. And, uh, and, and so be careful that you wish for their current state of spiritual beauty, because there's probably some pain that's going to come to you before you get there. Um, so yeah, be careful with what we envy. That's um, yeah. that's really good. Thank you, Bethany. Thank you for letting me flip the tables on you. Um, yeah. It has been fun. We will do it again. <laughs> uh, There's so many things that I learned from you. I can't imagine that that we couldn't do it rather often. Uh, the last three episodes before we recorded these um, few have been interviews with other folks. I just want to let you know we're going to have more interviews coming. If you didn't listen to the one about City for the Nations and the connection between worship and missions, please go back and do oh, that. It's so yeah. good. One of my favorites. Absolute yeah. favorites. That yeah, he did so well. Uh, and then also the interviews I did with Jason Bubba Stewart, uh, the Kentucky <laughs> Baptist Convention worship guru. Um, Bubba is a friend, but he also really has a beautiful grasp on the things that churches more widely are walking through. And so I think you can learn from those episodes. If you haven't listened to the first two or three, I really encourage you to go back and listen to those. They're so foundational and formational. The one on prayer that I think was episode three or four, I don't know, is is probably my favorite so far. And it's not because I'm a good prayer, but it's because I, I really wish I were and because the value of prayer is so, so profound to me. So feel free. Again, you can find us on iTunes or Spotify. Uh, Most people are finding us through social media. That's great. If you'd share it, that'd be beautiful. We would help. uh, We would help more people if it's helping you, um, if you would share it. So thanks for listening. We really want, really want to develop a tribe of people for the real church, like the real church, 
um, your church and churches just like yours who will lead worship in, in such a way that every soul in the room sings. So thanks. We'll talk to you next time. Bye-bye.